0: Hello, Rachel. How are you doing? Oh, ho, 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 Rachel, I am smiling from ear to ear. I've got a big grin on my face. I'm so happy. Because have got
1: a big Bester episode. That's it. That
0: You know, is there a time where Bester lets you down? Every time he shows up, say what you will about the episode itself, but him, he's always... He's best always been,
1: Delivers. He's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh. Everybody likes to talk to him.
0: Oh, I about him, of course. <laughs> but, Rachel, how, how are you doing on this fine day?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. It's the end of an era. It's the end of the Byron era. It's the dawn of the third age of mankind. No, that already happened. That did already that happen. Has, that, the, we're, we're in the third age. Hustlers, entrepreneurs, we're, and wanderers. we're in the afterbirth.
0: That is where. Yep. Yeah, we soon we'll be walking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and we we are here to discuss a particular episode of Babylon Five, and we come at it from the yum yum perspective. Which we will explain shortly, uh but we are rewatching the show, so this does contain spoilers, though as we're reaching the end of the show, it feels sillier to say that of
0: course, but yes, we are people who love science fiction television, we love talking about it, we love we love consuming it, we love thinking about it, and so we are podcasting yes. about one of our favorite shows, something that You know, when we talk about, like, other shows, I'm like, well, you know, people, lots of people do this. When they watch, say, like, Battlestar, another show, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in Star Trek, like, Star Trek's the thing that you always go back to.
1: It's the benchmark.
0: Not for me. It's always in Babylon 5. It's like, well, you know, in Babylon 5, one of the characters had six penises.
1: It was... a. You showing me this was a test on our early relationship. It indeed was. And so we're here to talk about B5,
0: but we're not alone.
1: On the eve of our fourth wedding anniversary. That's true.
0: We we are getting married to Babylon 5 discussion right now, in (laughs) fact. And here to be the celebrant of our relationship, we have a guest. Yes, Someone of notoriety, infamy perhaps. Ooh. If you're on YouTube and you look up reactions for sci-fi, sci-fi products and TVs and movies and a whole multitude of other things, you may have seen this uh, friendly face pop up on a thumbnail and go, oh, who's this? I better tune on in. We are joined by Medusa Cascade herself. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? How are you? Oh, we both asked it. I'm doing very <laughs> well. How about yourself?
2: i'm doing very very well thank you very much
0: and i i want to he- hear from you from your own from your own words, your own mouth about where the name comes from for people who aren't nerdy enough and what you do what your whole entire channel is about because you're you're a youtube person we haven't got youtube people on before we've always had podcasting folks so uh, give us all a bit of a rundown give our give our listeners or as we call them yumlings A bit of a a debrief on what you get up to.
2: I'm Majisa Cascade, and my name derives from a story arc in Doctor Who, the newer series of Doctor Who rather than the classic series. And it's all about missing planets, stolen planets, by a little fella in a nice little chair called Davros. And I basically spend my free time when I'm not doing my day job Reacting to television shows that I have never seen before, often with a, a strong emphasis on sci-fi shows, and that dates from the 1960s through to present day. So I've covered things like the entirety of classic Doctor Who, Farscape, Babylon 5, also Crusade in the movies. I've watched things like Sapphire and Steel, I'm currently watching The Witcher. I've watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Stargate SG-1 is a season I'm currently on a journey with. And I just do this in my spare time because I find it to be quite a lot of fun. And it's a it's a great way to chat to people about things that I'm really interested in.
0: You went through B5 for the first time. Um, did you have any... Prior history before having to do it for your reactions? Did you know much about it? Have you even caught an episode before
2: or anything like that? I knew absolutely nothing about it. My only thing was I knew it was on in the UK on Channel 4 quite late in the evening. And I remember seeing an advert for it when I was probably about maybe seven years old. And that was it. And it was probably one of the first things anybody asked me to watch. Uh, because my channel at first was very much focused on classic British sci-fi and Babylon 5 was one of the first non-British shows that I was asked to watch alongside Farscape but I actually did Farscape first because I enjoy the sense of humor when it comes to Australian Mm -hmm. um, television Um, it's very similar to British humor so a lot of the jokes and things I just found incredibly funny and um, I actually recently have just submitted my final PhD thesis on Australian cinema so it's something that I've had a a big interest in for quite a long time in terms of Australian TV and film so Babylon Five was a completely different experience for me and going into it I had no backstory I shut down comments because I didn't want to be spoiled on anything. I think they were closed for about two and a half years. I had moderators cleaning up everything on YouTube and Patreon so that nothing got through to me. I effectively lived in a bubble. And I think that's why my journey with it was so different to maybe other people that have since gone on the same journey through the show on YouTube or any other platforms. Because I just isolated myself completely and just immersed myself in the storytelling and what was happening and I think for me that's why I became so attached to a lot of the people in there and you know growing up in Britain my BA is in theatre so I grew up with a lot of very theatrically trained actors on my TV screens week in week out so when I first encountered Jeffrey Sinclair his voice resonated with me because it was similar to what I'd grown up with. And I would hear those voices day in, day out in the UK on TV. So I very quickly struck up an affinity with him and I just liked him. I liked the mystery that surrounded him. I didn't really know who he was, why he was there. I knew Delenn knew things that weren't being shared. And I think that whole mysticism part of it is what really enraptured me, to be honest. It can be a dangerous place. But it's our last, best hope for peace.
0: Everyone wants to know, Rachel, why Yum Yum Podcast? What's that all about? Is it a cake of some sort? No! I learned recently from a reliable source <laughs> that the, the, the UK, that Yum Yum is a cake.
1: No. Uh, the first show that we did as a podcast was Star Trek Discovery. hmm Because you hated it so much.
0: It frustrated me. Not hate, frustrated.
1: But you had so much to say about it. A lot of complex feelings. Yes. And we got to the end of season two and you were left in awe of a particular moment. So were you.
0: Hear the resounding agreement there? That silence is a yes. So you were
1: saying? (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh wh- why do I have to do this every time?
0: I guess needs to know. She she doesn't know about Yum Yum.
1: <sighs> yeah, but why do I let you do this to me every time? Anyway, we named ourselves after a line that happened in the Penultimate episode or season the, no, finale. It was the season finale? Okay.
0: It was, the, it was the I should
1: know this by now. You should.
0: You should that's why I make sure you say it every episode so that your brain <laughs> can determine
1: it. I should just write a script and do that.
0: Maybe. Do you have to write it on cue cards for you?
1: <laughs> no. So in the, the final episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery. There is an interaction between two actors who were paid to be on set and say things that were written by writers. That's how that works, yeah. And one of those actresses is now Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh.
0: Back then, she was just Michelle Yeoh, and yep. now, since she—fun fact—she stopped doing Star Trek: Discovery, and literally, as soon as she stopped, she won an Oscar. So, I'm not saying Star Trek: Discovery <laughs> stopped her, but I, I have no evidence to say otherwise.
1: Yes, and th- this other individual, I would not go as far as to say character. <laughs> yeah, you didn't. Commander that. Nandi. He, the actress's name is not as important as the character name. She has yet to win an Oscar. <laughs> she's still on
0: discovery, so that's
1: she's still on discovery. That's her fault. And Michelle Yeoh asks, asks Commander Nandi, "Hey, you want to go kill the antagonist?" And the response from this Starfleet officer is to lick her lips, sexually toss her hair back, and say yum-yum.
0: And that moment was so gloriously absurd. We named ourselves after it. We rate episodes using a yum-yum scale. And that is where it comes from. It's it's, It's just a bit of a laugh at how absurd the writing was in that moment. And just that series doesn't have, like, if that was in, say, Farscape a character like Chiana licked her lips and said yum yum in reply, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's normal. But in the confines of that, in, in Discovery, it, it's not normal and, it, and it's played not funny. It just happens. And so it's like, we'll never forget it and we make sure everyone remembers it too. And we are going to get into the discussion. And Medusa, I gave you the DVD description of the particular one we are going through today. So could you tell us all what episode we are watching and what is the description for it?
2: Yeah, this is episode 11. This is Phoenix Rising. And the episode description on the DVD is, Bester doesn't know best. His interference in the station's resolution of the telepath's revolt leads to unintended violence and tragedy.
0: Wow. Did you hear that, Rachel? Bester does not, in fact, know best. (laughs) (laughs) Shock horror. Shock and horror. And... Phoenix Rising is a big episode for the season. The fifth season, it has a love-hate relationship, as we have discussed over the course of the podcast. I personally have enjoyed the fifth season every time I watch it. It actually has some of my favorite episodes in it,
1: but... Definitely not skippable for either of us.
0: But it also has some things that are hard to digest uh and hard to get through, a little slow, a little awkward and Byron is definitely one of those for me and for a lot of people. And so Phoenix Rising, I've always n- like not cared for too much because it's like yay, we get it's like I celebrated in terms of yay, the Byron story is finally over and we can move on. And I've always found it a bit of a kind of a snooze, snoozy episode, like a little bit of a snooze fest. But doing this podcast, I've been really looking forward to getting to here because I want to give Byron that chance. I want to re examine the character, get rid of all of my biases towards him, and look at what has been building up to this explosive moment and actually see this episode for more than just when I'm watching the DVD, I can mark off, oh, I've now finished this part of the disc and I can go to the next one. So I've been a bit dismissive of Phoenix Rising in the past. And Medusa, for for yourself, what has been your overall attitudes towards Uh, this episode or or the Byron story? Because the fifth season does have the sensation of being almost in two parts. It's like the first part is like, hey, Lockley's here. And there's also this telepath colony we've got to deal with. And then the second part is the shipping lines are being attacked and we don't know who does it. And all the fall of Londo Malari and a whole bunch of other stuff. So what has been your journey and perspective with this episode and the Byron story overall?
2: For me, it was an interesting first 11 episodes, actually, because you've got that initial, oh, who's this? With Ivanova gone, Lockley coming in. Then we have Byron appearing as well. And I think his introduction scene with Lockley in the Zoukala always... I think when I first watched it, I was like, oh, who's this guy? Because as I was saying, especially around Sinclair, the the mysticism is what really uh, attached me to this show so he came in with an air of mysticism as well a bit like marcus did because when marcus first arrived we know he was helping the drazi and then he got to the station and we didn't know who he was so it was kind of a little bit like that for me i was like well who's this guy and then when we realized he was a telepath i think they'd been so many little nuggets of information sneakily sneak sneak snuck in if i <laughs> use the right word um to know that there was going to be this problem with the telepaths and to see him then arrive and be like this messiah figure to these this group of telepaths that he was with, that he wanted asylum for on the station, was an interesting way to open the series. I didn't expect it. It did, in hindsight, looking back, feel quite slow in the build up of what was happening. It, the pacing of the episodes felt different as well. It didn't really feel to me like Babylon 5 until we got to episode 12. And as you say, we went into the who's attacking the shipping lines, what's happening with Londo. That for me is when it went back to what Babylon 5 for me was. The whole Byron arc, I just, it was very culty looking at it, watching it. That was my first initial thought was, oh, okay. And I think I even referenced back to the X-Files episode, The Field Where I Died, where, you know, we find this cult and they're hiding under the ground. And it was a little bit like that for me. And they worshipped Byron so much. And you can understand why they would. And his mysticism of what does he know, because he clearly has a relationship in the past with Bester. What does Bester know? Because we were kept in the dark up until this point as to what their relationship actually was and what happened between them for us, for Byron to get to this point in his life. I felt a bit odd with Lita joining them
3: mm-hmm.
2: because I did feel at first it was a little bit out of the blue that she would so blindly trust this guy. And I was thinking, well, is that just because he's a telepath and she felt burnt because of the way she'd been trapped by everybody else, like John, Michael, Zach to an extent. Oh, yeah. So I thought, well, is she just joining them in... I don't know. She'd be petty about it, being like, well, if, yeah, like you didn't appreciate what I did to help you, so I'm going to go help these guys. They wouldn't even I let her keep her thought,
0: quarters, well, for fuck's sake. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You saved us from the shadow war, but guess what? You you kicked out of rent's your room. Gone up.
1: Yeah, you're you, not useful right now, so we're not going to appreciate you.
0: We, we won't even let you in the war room. <laughs> you're not allowed right? in the war yeah. room. Yeah. Then what is she? Uh, expendable. That's the answer. It's like, well, of course she will join a group yes. of hippies that are like, hey, actually, we don't want to be a part of the mundanes anymore. We want to be our own thing. It's like, yeah, well, Lita, Lita does what I think Lita that does. Was a good follow.
2: Point <laughs> yeah. About her being expendable because hers was the only name not mentioned at the toast in sleeping in light. Oh yeah. They did not mention Lita. So that to me just solidified what they actually, you know, what like what she actually meant it probably would have been zach if zach was able to get to that dinner he probably would have said lita but obviously zach wasn't there but byron as a whole me going into it without any knowledge whatsoever i don't think i probably initially had the same reaction as everybody else did toward him but by the end of episode 11 I was actually a bit like, okay, let's move on. Let's figure out what's going on with these shipping lines. Because uh, that yeah. that was more interesting to me.
0: Oh yeah. And I know, Rachel, I'll we'll pass it over to you, your, your thoughts, but you said this when we were watching it. There's just Byron's so corny. <laughs> like he's he's singing, yeah. he's all of his speechifying, oh. and he's like he can't answer a simple question like, when was the last time you slept? Lifetimes ago. Did I ever tell you that a lover of mine was a willow? Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, fucking answer the question.
1: And Lena's like, I'll be your willow now.
0: I'll be your willow now. But, Rachel, Phoenix Rising.
1: Hi. Uh-huh. I'm always glad to see the end of this episode. <laughs> that that's, that's my feelings on it. <laughs> and just, it's very similar to what you said, Ryan. It's just like... It's good to see Basta. It's good to say goodbye to Byron. And... um, Oh, yeah, this is Garibaldi relapsing.
3: (laughs) And maybe we could have avoided this if we'd opened negotiations. You can't talk to them. You can talk to her. You can talk to me. Everyone talks to me. People like talking to me. I guess I just have that kind of face. But you can't talk to them... They can't be trusted. Just leave it to us.
1: They're really good at giving Bester a different dynamic each time he's on the station.
0: Because as a character, he basically is OP. He has godlike powers. He can just do a whole lot. And so every time we introduce him again, you have to figure out a way of being able to make it a fair match between all of the characters or make it... More interesting, and we've had it be like, let's give him sleepers, or oh no, he needs us to use him for this reason, but we have something over him, and and now we get to season five, and they're so desperate with these telepaths because they've mis they they've handled it so poorly that they have to turn to the Nazi cop and say,
1: help us, Sheridan handled it so poorly. Yeah, well, Lockley didn't
0: want and
2: it want fell on Lockley's
1: yet. shoulders to sort it out. Yeah, yeah it's just like. If Sheridan hadn't gone over her head, they never would have mm-hmm. had this problem.
0: I love how it opens with like him having a conversation with his men, with all yeah. of his bloodhounds. It's oh, like okay, the, the
1: very convenient recap in case you've missed a couple of episodes. Here's hey. what's been happening on <laughs> Babylon Five.
0: Previously on Babylon Five, hey, it's fine because it's Walter Kanin <laughs> chewing through this dialogue, and he's so good at it. I just. Bester is just so delightful and here's Mm -hmm. where uh, like a a, a negative comes in for the Byron arc and I've said this jokingly but it is true and this is not a good thing because I I feel like Byron should be a tragic story like I should feel bad how it pans out but
1: yeah the tragedy of telepaths
0: but I'm rooting for Bester in this episode (laughs) because I'm like well he's competent at what he does and I just have not had the most positive relationship with Byron so it's like Bester's such a delicious character that mm. I'm happy when he's on the screen. And when Byron's on the screen, I'm like, Medusa, I'm like, okay, we can can we move on a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, it's just like your time's running out. Let, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Med- Medusa,
0: Bester is one of these important characters in the show. He's the recurring baddie. He's a complex uh, individual and he's played by you know, Walter Koenig and, I thought, oh, let's get Medusa on for for one of the big bester episodes because it's always a guarantee that it's a good time if he's around. But I want to know a little bit from you, your perspective on on him as a character, your thoughts on him overall, but also in this episode because it is drastically different to how he has been in other ones. Where in previous seasons they are the ones pushing back against him, while here he gets to call the shots. He gets to come in and say. No, 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 no. You're not going to negotiate with them. You're going to listen to me. In fact, people like talking to me. They love talking to me. What happens if Garibaldi dies? I don't know. Zach
2: gets his room. Fuck it. Just do what I say. (laughs) He's probably one of the most interesting, complex characters that I have ever seen. I just think he is amazing. The casting was a stroke of genius, I think, especially because a lot of people probably wouldn't have expected him to be played by someone like Walter, to be honest. I think it was probably quite a shock to see how different he is to how people had seen him previously. And for me, we get so many different sides of Like You constantly go through the seasons of we can't trust him, but then he'll do something to make us trust him. And then three, four episodes later, we don't trust him again. So the back and forth with him is probably one of my favourite things. We also see a range and depth of emotion, especially when he finds out about the telepaths that were destined to be shadow pilots, shadow ship pilots, and he finds Carolyn's wristband and we see how he deals with that. That, to me, was an insight into him that I never expected because he's so cold toward his wife and child, but he clearly loves Carolyn and he wants to be with her and just he doesn't really care about anything but her safety so, to see that side of him, I think was quite a, a nice juxtaposition of what we're used to seeing with him. then, when we get to this and he's just so matter of fact dismissive and cold about the whole NeuroBlock situation with Michael, I'm like that's Besta. that's the best of that we met in you know at the start that's the one that we've known for most of the of the show he yeah, he kind' that's of the one that he goes back into that to the world,
0: yeah that well. He's cold, but he's having the best time of his life when he does these horrible things. Like he, he relishes oh, yeah. doing it.
2: It's like his favorite pastime, isn't it? Just being an asshole to people. He it's his favorite thing in the world. And when he's talking about how, you know, the telepaths are all their children, and that's how he treats Byron. He's treating Byron like a parent that's scolding his child because Byron didn't want to shoot that ship originally, and yet he did it anyway because he didn't want Bester's disapproval, I guess, in some ways. And he was molding him to just be a mini Bester until obviously everything happened with with that ship that they shut down. But yeah, he's just so interesting to watch, actually. And I could just watch him. I think this may have been his penultimate episode, actually, as well. I think we got one more after this with him, which was probably the Koi's mother, the Koi's father.
0: Hmm. Where it's and a day in the life of him.
2: If, <laughs> yes. So like... Just to have him for so little, it feels like he's there all the time because there's this presence about him where you always just assume he's there somewhere, but he's not. He's there so little, but you just feel the magnitude of him when he's not even in a an episode.
0: We get so many scenes of... Him just sitting with the main cast, the people we see in the opening credits each week, and he's just undermining them. There's this amazing scene where it's Lockley and Sheridan and him talking, and the camera just keeps whip panning between each person that's Mm. talking. And he is the one that's sitting down. He's relaxed. This is all under control. Yes. He can make jokes about everything, and you have Lockley really stressing the point of Sheridan. Are, are you actually considering negotiating with terrorists? And he's like, "Oh, I don't know about that." And then cut back to he, uh, Walter Koenig's big, smug, grinning face, and he just knows how this is all going to play out. So he thinks, Bester, and that's that's mm-hmm. really like what a large amount of this episode has going for it is. We may cut to Byron and we find it a bit slower, but then we cut it back to what what, what, what Best is doing. And he's so sure of himself. And that means, oh, this is going to fuck up real good because he's arrogant. Like, Best is an arrogant son of a bitch. And Rachel, Mm -hmm. Byron's past. It's already been mentioned. But we find out, like he's his whole thing in the last episode he's in like yeah. so this is a, mo- a move to make you the viewer reflect back reflect back on mm-hmm. what you have seen in the previous 9 episodes he was in and that's like a pretty risky move because he does have those cult vibes yeah and inherently when you do have those cult vibes there's a distrust from the audience of like he's hmm. shifty there's got to be something <laughs> wrong with him but then they've also given him a lot of these Sympathetic quality, so it's like, where are we supposed to go? And so we get his backstory here in the final episode of his of mm-hmm. his time, and how does it land for you?
1: It's mixed. Mixed is where I kind of land because I like it. It makes sense, but it's also like, now, now you give us this. Like, I get that he was hiding it. But I sort of would have appreciated if, you know, um, they (laughs) Talia's lovely speech about what it's like when telepaths make love.
0: Oh, if his background was revealed when that happened while we're getting revealed of the vol- they
1: fuck multiple times. We see them, like, cuddled up and naked at, like, the end of an episode.
0: We do. Even here, the sexual energy yeah. is radiating um, off the screen.
1: And if it was, if she was just like, oh, I wish you told me, I wish you thought that you could share that with me, like, and then, like, you know, maybe she harkens back to the conversation she had with Franklin about why she left the psychops.
0: Oh, right, because she had a fucked up experience thanks to Mr. Vesta yeah, and his group. Yeah, like... <laughs>
1: They share that experience and if they connected through that rather than him being like, here's my last little info dump before I die. Sad truth of
0: it is, Rachel, for that to happen, Lita would have been given more to do once she had joined the cult. Yeah. Which the reality is once Lita joins the cult, she just stands there and gets told what to do by Byron. And even in this episode... She senses things through pipes and then she's there to be told to leave at the end.
1: She's still being used mm. as a tool.
0: I like the reveal a lot more now. When I saw it back in the day or on previous watches, it did not really land for me. I didn't really think too hard about it because it's like, oh, yeah, sure, now we're giving him like a, a little backstory before he dies, so it's all the more and poignant. we knew
1: that he was powerful and we knew he had a history with Besta, so Besta getting him to do something really fucked, yeah.
0: But it goes into that. Besta looking at him as a child, mm-hmm. is, is this protege, but also since he fucked up, he did this heinous act, he's reinvented himself. Byron has reinvented himself. He's no longer bester 2.0 he's no longer evil psychop boy now he's this long-haired intellectual who wants to put on this face of uh, of like this divine wisdom that maybe he doesn't have and maybe it's a lie maybe it's not but he wants that to be true and he has such a extreme pivot from what he used to be to this it's almost like a child going through that, uh, those teenage years where they're trying to figure out who they are and he's an environment, you know, your teenage is now a, an environmentalist or they're going through their, their emo phase or whatever it is. And I think that's how Besta uh, is looking at this the whole time. It's just like, you don't know what you're doing, but you'll figure it out in the end. But you've disappointed me. Like Besta's is like his father figures like you have disappointed me, my son and so
1: You'll come home eventually.
0: So this being the revelation, I think actually adds a lot more to the character when I am going back through those episodes and thinking about Byron's lack of skills because he's only known how to be a shitty cop. He doesn't know how to be a civil rights activist. He doesn't know how to be a leader of any people. So when this episode ends with the colony and all of the ideals going to shit and dying and exploding and it's this horrifying thing, yeah, it lines up because he he kind of didn't know what to do with it because he only has a certain limited set of skills and he's been treated like a child for a very long time. And something too, Medusa, I don't know if you know this, but Robin Atkin Downs, the actor, when he was doing this, he was like 20 years old. Like, a 20-year-old guy, a 21-year-old guy in charge of a whole colony, I'm like, yeah, I can imagine that fucking up. You know, like, he probably yeah, doesn't no, have I don't see that of working out. I don't see it working out. Don't do this, Byron.
3: We worked together once. We were close, if not necessarily friends. We've had our problems. But it's still you. And it's still me. And we're still what we are.
2: I think Byron was the only character that I never formed an emotional attachment to. Recurring character, that is. I mean, we had so little Naroon, and I bawled when that guy left because he was just an amazing character. Byron's ideologies, I can understand to an extent where he was coming from, but I just feel he was just so misguided in what he was doing, and I always felt like... Even though he would talk about how he was doing the best for his people, kind of how Bester does, I feel like he just never went about it in the correct manner. I think his heart was in the right place. But as you say, because he was so young, he didn't have the life experiences needed to be able to lead those people. If they got their own planet, you know, would he become their president? What would he become? Would he become like a godlike figure? What would happen to him? Because he was always perceived as this Messiah, this Jesus-like persona on the station. So how would that have elevated if he had got what he had wanted? I don't personally think he would have coped with it in the long run. I think Lita probably would have taken on more of the burden if they had managed to get what he wanted. But I never really felt a huge amount of sympathy toward him. And I, I always think about how... When we see that flashback with Bester and Byron when they're in the Omegas and Bester's ordering him to fire, it always makes me think of how the Earthman-Barry war started. Whereas that was a complete accident because of a miscommunication. On Mm. the other hand, we've got Bester just saying, yeah, just do it, it's fine, they're only Mundans. So it was kind of an interesting parallel to see that, you know, what happened with the Earth... Minbari Barry war how that started was a complete accident and was never intended bester's more than happy to just kill people for the sake of killing people because they're just mundane and i think they both have very misguided outlooks on life at times and i think byron was probably still more like bester than he actually thought he was toward the end
0: oh i i completely agree we've been clocking this too He wants to make this peaceful colony, but he makes it a specific point throughout every episode he was in that we are superior and you are mundanes. He treats Franklin like Mm -hmm. shit during this season. And Franklin's the only person who's going out of their way to help the colony without asking for anything in return. Garibaldi wants things in return. Sheridan wants things in return. Franklin never does, and he still yells at Franklin like, "Why aren't you helping my people? Oh, my people got hurt because of your kind." And it's like, "Oh, so there's still this division, even within his group, so at the center of it, he still has a lot of that 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 indoctrination or that that viewpoint that he grew up within the psycho and had teaming up with bester, and he's still like parts of him are still a, like a filthy cop. Because that, that's what he was. He was a filthy mm-hmm. cop. And it's interesting to look at this flashback. And, and the breaking point for him was they're just mundanes. And yet, during the course of this season, he has said that casually about people. He said that mm-hmm. about people. And it's not been a big issue for him. And so there's all there's this, all of these disconnects that build up with Byron. So I can totally agree where... There's no emotional attachment because at the end of the day I don't really have a grasp on how the show wants me to feel about him. If you're wanting me to see him as this tragic civil rights activist who's a bit over his head and it all implodes, fine, but it's also like at the same time you're also framing him as like a a weird sex cult leader guy. It's like I don't know if you should marry those two things at the same time. It's kind of Making my head hurt a bit. It's hard to to wrap my brain and my feelings around it too. And also, he's 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 just um, he's very cold. Like Byron's a very cold guy. Like even in this episode, yeah. when he gets emotional, there's there's this there's this layer of ice over it for me. That just it's intentional from the performance. But I I'm not too sure how like I'm not too sure if it works with where we're at. Then you get Bester and. Walter Koenig's having the time of his life. Like, this is the best time of his life ever. You get him talking to Gar- Garibaldi. You get the whole lead-in of, where's Garibaldi at? I don't know. I haven't heard from him in a while. Well, that's worrying because nothing is more concerning than when Garibaldi goes quiet when you <laughs> don't hear from him. When he's being loud, that's something you can you can tolerate and you can understand. And we know that. But when he goes quiet, that's the concern. And I like that there's two meaning like there's a double up on that because it leads into oh he's gone quiet because he's gonna he's decided he's gonna murder Bester, but at the end we come back to we haven't heard from garibaldi oh because he's drinking again so i, I like mm. how that statement from from sheridan has more than just one transitional point for the garibaldi character because garibaldi being up for murdering someone in 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 revenge and cold blood—that's a big thing for a character to do in your show. Like that's that's a huge thing, but we know why because we watched a whole season,
1: yeah, a whole
0: season of him being an asshole yep. because Besta made him that mm-hmm.
2: way. And we feel for Garibaldi. I was devastated when I saw him with that whiskey at the end. I remember watching it and just feeling—I felt it sounds might sound strange, but I actually felt let down that that was the route that he took and he never went to ask John for help but as we know even in Sleep and in Light you can still tell there's some strange relationship between Garibaldi and John and he obviously didn't feel like he could go to him and there's an instance in this when it's just before the telepaths break into the uh, med lab actually where Garibaldi walks in when he wants to ask Stephen about you know different types of neural blocks whether you know it's telepathic or not and He doesn't call him Stephen when he walks in. He calls him Doctor. Mm
3: -hmm. So it's like
2: not only is he out there trying to formulate this plan to maybe get rid of his block, kill Bester, but he's slowly starting to distance himself again to an extent because we saw him distance himself in the previous season when he was under Bester's control, really. And it's like he's trying to do it again so that... I always took it as he was doing it as a way to... Make it easier on everybody. If he was able to then kill Bastard, there wouldn't be a backlash on everybody else. So he was trying to create this distance of, well, if I fall out with you all again, you won't face the repercussions of what I've done. So I kind of looked at, along that route. And then I think he realized by the end of the episode, you know, I don't think what I'm doing, maybe the right way of going about things. And he just found solace in that glass, which mm-hmm, which he's done actually before. Actually, broke my heart a little bit.
0: Yeah, he, because he came to Babylon Five. He broke up his relationship with Lees, and he's had a past of mm. when things get tough, he fucks up and runs away. And a part of that Finds is not just. Bottle. Drinking or leaving the station or leaving wherever, but it's how he treats other people that catch yeah. of. He
1: burns his bridges. He burns his
0: bridges, but also mm. like he he distances himself. And that catch about him calling him doctor, I, I didn't ca- I, I didn't grab that, but that that's a great thing See, to point out because he I does do that a lot I during the show. It. Because he did that in season four. Because the yeah. whole thing about the control was. It's not like they reprogrammed him entirely. It's just we took certain aspects of you that exist and we just turned them up. Mm -hmm. And this is him
1: doing that but just
0: on his own volition. And it's in these little ways and obviously the big
1: ways. See, I also noticed that, but I thought about it differently, of I'm coming to you as your role as the doctor. That's why I'm here. I'm not here on a social visit I'm here for your expertise, and that's why I thought that he referred to him as Doctor.
0: And Jerry Doyle is so good in this episode. I I, I like Jerry Doyle's performance a lot in Season 5 because we get to have reprieve of him being regular Garibaldi again after having Season 4, but then it becomes... A very dramatic, heavy, and sad story for for the character, and so that actor gets to have kind of the best of both worlds yeah. when it comes to the character because we've seen him be light and affable and funny, but also mm-hmm. deeply tragic, and someone that when he does fuck up, I totally agree with you, Medusa where it's like uh, I feel let down because i I root for you so much at drunk times.
1: again, uncle Mike drunk
0: again, Uncle Mike yes the infamous line from survivors, but <gasps> we 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 have best to, telling him how he's fucked and this is the thing that's great about Bester too is after a certain point in the series the writing just decides nah it's kind of boring to watch the crew defeat Bester every time he shows up wouldn't it be more fun if he just keeps winning he just keeps fucking <laughs> winning and he wins he beats garibaldi he destroys this motherfucker he he this is the brilliance of the writing of the performance we know having seen the show before and even if you just watch the scene that besta already has an understanding of how all of it's going to play out so if you re-watch the scene and watch walter koenig's performance of having the gun pointed at him and everything he's saying and his demeanor it's just this it's just this great nuance of acting of he's super not concerned because of course he isn't he's already won this is all just formality garibaldi yeah point the gun at me and no i'm not going to record that actually i'm not in the mood for it and yeah i'll close my eyes and you do what you do because he enjoys toying with him that's what's like mm-hmm. the best villains and I mean, producer, you've covered uh, some interesting shows with some fun villains. I mean, Scorpius, for instance, and Farscape is a great yes. example of this too, where I love and especially in these 90s sci-fi shows where the villains are the ones who just have a good time. They just have a good time <laughs> yeah. being bad people. They just are like, yeah, I don't really mind doing it. There's no humming and ah and, and and like on the occasion, they'll justify themselves as a good person. But
3: mm-hmm.
0: moment to moment, they're like, hmm.
3: No, I like screwing you over, it's fun. It's fun for me. Yeah. I put the block in the part of your brain that controls the neural system. You can want to kill me as much as you want. Same way I can say, I want to raise this hand, but it won't lift up until I send the impulse. You're blocked at the point of action. But I left your rage intact. Call it... Counterpoint. Dramatic irony.
2: That's That scene of Michael getting his gun, pointing it at Besta, he's so casual, Besta, in his movements. Just watching his physicality is my favourite thing about that entire scene. And watching you know, Garibaldi, you can see his eyes, he's thinking about, hang on a minute, this guy, What he's got contingency plans for his contingency plans. And it's when you slowly see Michael start to realise that this guy has got me in such a chokehold, there's nothing really I can do about it. And to see him just casually walk over, sit down, give Michael that speech about being able to lift his hand. That is probably one of my favorite best uh, performances actually, that scene where he lifts his hand and then just smiles and yeah. then puts his hand back down. And it's just Michael's reaction to it is just, he realizes this is worse than I thought. And then obviously that's when he goes to, to Stephen to ask about the new world block and try to get help. But it's just to see, you know, he kind of, you kind of realised that during the first part of the, fe- the season, he slowly started to build his confidence back up. He started to build his relationships back up with people because Feel like we see it with Delenn. Yeah, because there's instances in season four where he's under Bester's control, and he'll not outright say it, but allude to the fact that Delenn is an alien. But he won't say those words. But that's how it comes across. Like he's got this issue with her now because mm. she's not from Earth, and. We slowly see him becoming himself again, yeah. And then Bester just knocks him straight back down again. And he's like, by the way, you can't hurt me. You can't let anyone else hurt me. I can basically control you for the rest of your life. And he's just, he can't do anything about it until this neural block is gone. And you it's going to be difficult. Enough
1: to, you were stupid enough to think that you were out from underneath my thumb. <gasps> Oh, silly
0: Garibaldi. That's one of the best comedy lines he gets in the show is he has this Besta has this whole lead up where he's saying, oh, Mr. Garibaldi, I've got something to ask you on a on a on a philosophical level or something, and then he just goes, How stupid do you think I am? He's just like <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. he leads up to it so beautifully just to be like how fucking dumb do you think i am mister with all the things you know you think i'm just gonna let you run around and be able to screw me over fucking idiot of course not and my favorite little detail <laughs> because it goes back to what he did to him in season four we're not going to completely rewire him and do everything different we're just gonna have the little things that he already has and make that him entirely and he says i made sure to keep the rage tax that's intact. I made sure yes. I didn't mess with that part because I want you to feel all of this, but be unable to do anything about it. That's my little gift to you. And it's just like, you piece of shit, you piece of garbage, you, you <laughs> absolute monster. But I just, I can't help but celebrate that he just keeps keeps winning. And I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say this now, but like, the next episode we see him in, it also ends with him just winning. He just goes, claps his hands and just says, oh, well, we're off back home again. More work to do. And yeah. Bester just wins. He just gets to keep going. Like, he get the implication that he'll get fucked later. But in the terms of what we see in the show, he doesn't get one-upped. He one-ups everyone else, and he still feels like he's right. Yep. That's one of my favorite things about him as a character is he doesn't learn a lesson. He just gets confirmed that, no, no, I'm the best, I am correct, I deserve to do all of these things.
2: I'm superior. I'm superior. Because that's what he believes. Oh, yeah.
0: And the irony is he's not, obviously, because it's like he's a terrible person, but also like the telepaths Byron knows aren't this evolutionary superior step. They're manufactured, they're made by somebody else for one specific purpose. Mm -hmm. But Besta doesn't know that. And so, in order to cycle, and so they just define what it is for themselves. And it's this it's this bigotry, it's this separation. And we see the separation forming within the telepath colony. We have people on the outside who are getting chased down like wild dogs. And Best even says, well, yeah, we would stop doing that if they just stopped acting like wild dogs. It's like no one's willing to break the cycle of any of this. So it just keeps Mm. feeding into itself. And Best has got it all under control until, uh-oh, someone's been crucified. Just to hammer in the yes. Byron uh, messiah thing. They crucify people and free Byron. And the group outside are now taking hostages in the sick bay and med bay. And it fulfills the scene we saw in Deconstruction of Falling Stars. And one of the things that I've really come to appreciate about Babylon 5 and Uh, uh, and Rachel, I'll throw this over to you, but like, we get so often shown to us as well as told how certain characters and stories will end. And then we get to watch a season, maybe four seasons worth of show, play out like that, and yet it never loses its interest. Like, you never say to yourself, oh, Mondo is a far less compelling character because I know he'll live and be able to become the emperor and get choked to death. Like you, it's still even more fascinating to know how the fuck do we get to that point? And then once you get past the how the fuck do you get to that point, you go, "Oh no, I don't want to get to that point."
1: You just gave the answer, but, which is the journey is interesting enough. But
0: does it does it have that for this? For the for the for the, for the colony?
1: <laughs> for the colony? No. Not really, because it feels doomed from the beginning, and we only ever really see them fucking it up. There's never a point where you're like, maybe they'll make this work. They deserve this. It's just like, no, no, you fuck that up, you fuck that up, and oh, boy, that's a dumb choice. That's stupid. Oh, my God, you're doing that now? If you fuck with Franklin, you're you're
0: already in the shit book. He's the doctor. And <laughs> and they and they like punch him in the gut and he falls over. And that was that's where I got taken out. We all know that Franklin is, in canon, the most fit character in the show. Like I've seen him with his shirt off. Yes. Him and Jakar are the strongest characters in the show. And I'm, you're telling me that Garibaldi can take more punches than uh, you know? Uh, fucking franklin but hey maybe he doesn't get into fights all that much so maybe he he's just not ready they 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 maybe got him still, blindsided him
1: like a little bit in recovery after his stab point
0: oh yeah that's true why not um it's been a couple of years but i get your point um but we do fulfill that scene and I, I agree i agree with you i think there weren't enough moments of seeing a genuine possibility for what the colony was wanting to fulfill Even if you didn't have the scene in Deconstruction of Falling Stars, the cult-like atmosphere and the fact that so many people who are against them just seeds this idea in the brain that this is going to fall apart rather than blossom in spite of everything. So when you get this moment of they've got Garibaldi, they've got Franklin, and they're violent and crazed, and Sheridan isn't going to negotiate with terrorists, I... Look at it more as just like oh cool you you linked it up to that one scene from the from the se- season finale last time, but I don't have that like that. Oh no, it's all it's all spiraling out of control. It's all falling apart. Like we do literally the episode after this, where the Interstellar Alliance starts to go through the same thing, but because of an outside force with the shipping lines. Like, I do appreciate that, that the first half of the season and the second half of the season do mirror each other in that way of, you're watching people with high ideals slowly just bleed out because they don't know how to do it. And by the skin of their teeth, Sheridan and the Interstellar Alliance pulled through, but Byron doesn't. He fucks up and his whole group fucks up. And uh, Medusa, for, for you, when it comes to, like, the 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 colony fracturing and tearing each other apart, and even Byron having to step in and take down one of his own. I mean, how does it all land for you? And overall, like this is the the, the conclusion of this eleven episode story. This is the culmination of that very slow build up. It, was it worth it in the end?
2: I personally was more excited to learn more about Garibaldi's neural block and what was going to go on from that moment in time. And as you say, the the parallels to the Interstellar Alliance from season 12 onwards, what always comes to mind for me is we've got obviously the Psycho and then Byron's groups and faction and then we get factions within the factions. So to see it's basically destroyed itself from within each level Of that hierarchy and i always think to myself it's amazing when you see how minbar and centauri prime their inclusivity of telepaths is so calm and they work and the systems that they have on their own planets they're so included in things because we've seen minbari telepaths helping during the war and there just seems to be no dissent whatsoever. They have this way of coexisting that humans don't. And it makes me always think, well, you know, what did the Volons do? Like, did they spend more time with Minbar? Did they spend more time at Centauri Prime? Did they maybe just not really give a shit about Earth and the telepaths that were manufactured? Or how maybe much, they much were longer just they cannon, had cannon fodder? Them. Well, yeah. Exactly.
0: Well yeah he, yeah, the thing too is the Minbari and the Centauri treat their telepathic people from a religious and spiritual realm. The Centauri do that. Yes. They they hold a reverence for it, and so do the Minbari specifically. They they have this whole system for the it. Humans but the humans
1: distrust the
0: humans see them as mm-hmm. a group to marginalize and control and put them in a box and utilize them for specific things and outside of that. They are something to fear because we're paranoid people, but we don't look at them through any nice little prism of spirituality. And so there's that. And we also know that at some point along the way, the shadows are like, hey, hey, this psycho group, they seem pretty fun. Let's 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 keep chatting with them <laughs> a little bit and let's kind of tinker and, and, and take some and have a little bit of joy for it. But it is an interesting thing that it does not really get vocalized all that often in the show is a lot of other races have sorted the telepath issue out, while humanity does not know how.
1: To the point where it's not a problem for them, but it's still referred to as the telepath problem with the humans.
0: And the telepath problem, the colony, they dragged in all of these Interstellar Alliance members and blackmailed them and said, we're your problem now, bitch. And so there's resentment there, because- they're not their problem. We've sorted our stuff out. But that's the thing. The interstellar lines are supposed to be better than that, as Byron's colony was supposed to be better than grabbing guns and shooting people and holding people hostage and threatening to kill or using telekinetic abilities for violence. Because when Papa peter Joined up. It was like this beautiful gift of, look, you can lift a bowl in the air.
1: It's so sweet. God, and then, him throwing stuff in that hallway. I mean, Jesus Medusa, Christ. you've watched You've
0: watched a lot of, uh, all, you've watched all classic Doctor Who. Did this give you a nice little throwback to the great, uh, great budgets of <laughs> those days where telekinesis in this show is they just lob paper plates at Zach Allen and he goes, ah, it hurts, it
2: hurts. <laughs> it, it did give me some. Little joy, I might add. Because I love a wobbly set. It's one of the best things. And, you know, it did make me go, oh, a little bit at that scene. And, but I, I worry for Zach mostly, because he's precious. So any, even if it's a paper plane, I'm like, whoa, hang on. Back off, back off the Allen. That man needs to be protected. I've got two
1: words for you, Telly Telekinesis.
2: Lockley and
0: Sheridan, with Byron, make a solution to the problem they say okay we're gonna hand these people over here round up this we're not having bester involved at all we're making sure to go over his head he's not allowed to come to the party by the way
1: but we're still gonna discuss this in front of him when he can read our minds
0: look 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 sheridan and lockley were married we both know sheridan isn't the smartest cookie and uh if lockley was dumb enough to marry him when he was even dumber and younger Look, I I'm, I question her sometimes. I like Lockley, but I question her a times. But no, you're right. And Bester comes in to just say, no, 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 no. They're mine because because I'm angry. Uh, he 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 betrayed my trust. Give them to me now. They can't get away with this. And this is the this is the big big point too with it, with Bester is when he's been a villainous character in the past, he's had the ability to play it off as I've been within my rights. I'm just utilising my ability as a cop. I don't have to tell you anything and you can take that. And when he's broken those rules, they've used it as blackmail against him Hence Sinclair really screwed him over good at the end of Mind War and that gave Sinclair a lot of things to deal with in that season. But in this episode, he does the same thing where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not even going to pretend I'm doing this in the name of being a cop. I'm doing this because I personally... I'm angry about it. I personally am affronted that you're doing this. And I really like that nuance of of Bester is he has so many different facets to why he does everything. It's not just I'm villain and I'm cop. It's this, this, this personal grudge towards Byron being able to get away with it yet again, or the mundane stepping in and taking care of the problem. So, fuck it. I'm not even going to pretend to be a cop. Give them over to me now. I don't care about the rules. And so, it goes into a a, a shootout. Everything gets fucked up. People die. People get injured. Uh, There's some fluids that shoot all over the ground because, you know, how Babylon 5 just has all of these explosive fluids everywhere. Yeah. That was, you know.
1: There's just (laughs) barrels of, like, petrol equivalent just... Hanging around? Look. They were in Brown Sector, right?
0: That's, yeah, Brown is where the poo is. So, that's... (laughs) That's that's why it's the Brown Sector. It's where all the homeless live. So, remember that one episode where the homeless had a really great point about how it's unfair that these random telepaths can get living space in the Brown Sector and help from the Babylon 5 staff while the homeless don't? And then Byron was like, that's your problem, not mine. Again... Am I supposed to feel sad for Byron when he's shot in the arm and he says, "There's no way out of this. This is the only way it can end—is with our destruction and demise and Are suicide." We
1: sing a hymn <sighs> on our <laughs> way out.
0: Medusa said because to me,
1: "That's that's what that's what sane people do. That's, that's what, what
0: m- martyrs do."
1: Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, that's
0: that's but medusa said to me as long as i don't have to do any singing on this podcast i'll come on and i'm like well medusa i'm sorry but they have their little song and is there just can i just ask you since you, you you're fresh and as somebody who like myself who's watched a million times there's things that i find very funny and i know others do but like with byron is there just too many Is there is there is there a plethora for you of just like weirdly funny things that maybe aren't supposed to be funny because like the singing thing that's kind of goofy, right? Or, or do you like that?
2: No, I find it quite creepy, actually, <laughs> um, which is strange because I mean, I have a, as, as I said earlier, I have like a BA in theatre and part of that was musical theatre. So I had to do training as part of my education. And just seeing that, like, I never went down the acting route. I ended up working behind the scenes instead. But I would probably feel quite awkward, like having to do to do that even though I'd gone through this training process during university I just find it quite strange and bizarre and yeah I don't know it's it's when the harmonizing comes in actually (laughs) that it really starts to get to me a little bit yeah Byron sings
0: and then he explodes and Oh he sends Leto away. He says, Hey Lisa, remember that one episode where I told you at the end of it that there will be a time when I tell you to go away. This is that time. Go away now, so that you can be relevant to plots again. A tree. Yes, you're my willow. <laughs> I'm your willow, you're my willow, willow willow, willow. Um by the way, Robin Atkin Downs was in Buffy, so more willow talk later. He he <laughs> dies and I feel absolutely nothing. Like
1: when he dies, it's like, oh he exploded, I, I, I guess. I, I'm a bit gleeful. I, I I I look
0: at it more as like, oh, well, will this lead to a lot of things? Because even the episode ends with like an ominous ISN report like hey, all of this all of this sh- uh, crazy
1: shit is happening. Yeah, this is, of the stuff Byron is stuff. happening back on earth. But I'm happy because Besta gets fucked over. But he doesn't know it. But he doesn't know it. But I love that he's perplexed. And I like that Besta didn't get control back. Because that's what he wanted. He wanted those telepaths back. He wanted Byron back under his control. He wanted order to be restored to the universe. And he didn't get it. We see this
2: with fascism. That's an interesting thing about the control aspect of that, because we see Michael doing the same thing when Besta walks out of his quarters, when he tries to regain his control and still tries to shoot him after he learns that he can't. So that's quite an interesting parallel.
0: And I was going to say there's even more parallels. I look at it because Besta is a fascist. And we see in the real world and through this show, you can't maintain control through fascism. You can't maintain control over individuals or whole groups through aggression, through violence, through tyranny. Fear. Jakar said that in his legendary speech when they lost the Centauri War and his race were now slaves, that... You can't just enslave a whole group of people through force of arms alone. And that was a whole thing about the Civil War arc, but also the Vorlons. The Vorlons were all about control and a part of their control at a point was horrifying actions whether it was making telepaths themselves one of the most sympathetic traits about byron is his justified rage and anger towards his own existence the fact that they were just pawns for other people who are no longer here to be held accountable for and their existence is one with no meaning anymore and b5 does that a lot like the caste systems on minbar after Sinclair's knowledge of the future runs out because he was a time traveler and he could guess things because he lived through them or he had a way to look forward. What happens? Oh, the car system start fighting and falling apart because there's no direction anymore. It crumbles. And it was just a form of control. And Bester doesn't get that. He doesn't get it. Like He walks out, out from this experience clueless. He thinks he's so smart and so fucking clever and so in charge of it all, and yet he doesn't get why they would rather have died than go back with him. And that, oh, well, it's just a bump in the road. We're we'll, we're still on we're still on track to yeah to kill you all later. Yeah, there'll be a telepath war well, one It'll day. There's
3: a war the coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the Byron arc, and it's just a simple question: Is it any good?
1: I mean, Rachel, no, no, not really. It doesn't get there. They just, it never gets off the ground. And uh, like we've discussed this already, it's either it needed to be cut back or fleshed out more because you don't get what you need from what it gives you. Has
0: going through it again, has has much changed opinion-wise or feelings or even recognition of what has been put into it?
1: I feel like I am less harsh on it because I appreciate more how it wants to weave itself into the broader context to be part of the tapestry of the world, but it just fails. And it really stands out because it is one of the biggest flops of the whole show.
0: I am a little warmer to it now. I I always had a statement to make, which is, I don't understand why we need Byron when we already have Lita. You could have done this with Lita. Lita has enough justified anger and sorrow and tragedy that we've seen in the course of the series to form her own resistance group and break away from the alliance. And then there's a lot more personal stake to it. But uh, it's, it seems like it's always destined, from what little background research I've done, that Byron was supposed to be here in some way, shape, or form, that there was this outside figure. But I, I think there's a lot more work put into the previous episodes, In fact, I actually found this one to be one of the least compelling for the Byron character overall. I actually really liked In the Kingdom of the Blind, where he was blackmailing the Interstellar Alliance and he realized that that was a bad decision to have made. Uh, And I I think it was better handled in previous ones. So I'm going to say it doesn't really work, but I find it more of a commendable Experience to go through. Then on previous watch through, you
2: fucked up. It's a you tried. It needed fleshing out more for me. It needed something else. It it, to me, it felt slightly flat. Looking back on it, because I've not actually watched it again since those the show actually, um, and I can understand where you're coming from in return in in regard to Lita, because I feel the same way. I think it would have been more impactful on me as a viewer, if it was Alita that had gone on this journey, because, as you say, she had the motive, she had the personal experience. We know she had connections to Mars and the Resistance, and she had connections to the Underground Railroad that Stephen had way back with Talia, all working. and, you know, she was part of that. She knew about it. So that gave her, like, the emphasis for her character to go on a journey like this, because she had all of this foreknowledge, Byron's reason was just solely a selfish reason, whereas Lita's, I think, would have had more weight to it if we experienced this through Lita. And I probably think, you know, we would have maybe lasted the entire season if it was with Lita. Not a main 11 episode focus, but just slowly integrated throughout the story for the season. I think for me, would have worked a lot better. I personally don't See the need for Byron. It would have worked for me better as Lita,
0: but you got to remember Byron. That's a oh no, fucking okay. That's that's goofy, right? Can we can we all agree? <laughs> to remember Byron?
1: Yes, yes, Yes. That's yes. Fucking
0: <laughs> it's it's goofy, and I love Patricia Tolman. She's a great actress, but she can't she can't pull it off. I don't know if any great actor could. It's just the hand holding. Remember Byron. Remember Byron? It's
1: like doing it every single time.
0: And and the fucking funniest thing about that is when you know where the rest of the season goes, it's like it doesn't remember him. Like we go like five or six more episodes without really any reference to it again. It's like you get the bester episode and they're like, oh yeah, that happened. We sorted it and that was it. And then it's like near the end of the show where it's like, oh yeah, Lita's done all of this stuff because of Byron. It's like, oh yeah, remember Byron? And it's like... No, not really, because after it, you kind of walked away and just said, okay, we're moving on. Remember Byron. And talking about remembering Byron, Rachel, it's time for the spotlight section, where we talk about an actor or actress that appeared in a given episode, go over their performance, uh, say if there's anything we've seen them in, if they're a recognisable face or voice, and pieces of trivia we may have, and Robin Atkin Downs is the man... Robin Atkin Downs, who played the Byron himself and Moran in Atonement and in the beginning, the warrior cast Minbari guy who said, hey, Delenn, the council is split on this decision. We need your votes. And I've always defended Robin Atkin Downs' performance, even when I watched this as a teenager and I said, who's this Marcus replacement? Because that was the thing, too. We just had a long-haired, sexy British guy who was full of quips just leave the show. And yep. then the next season opens up with a new woman who's an auburn-haired, badass, no-nonsense lady who replaces Ivonova. Mm-hmm. And then we have a new, long-haired, sexy British man who has quips. And it's yes. like, it was hard to say, but I've always respected Robin Atkin-Dance's performance. I've always felt mm. like he had presence yeah. in the role and I've always had issues with the writing rather than his performance or characterization I think the for what he
1: manages to get through some of his lines with a straight face I'm just like I appreciate you buddy and when he
0: was Moran uh he does he does he did a great job as as that character too because little background into his acting world he he does a lot more voice work now but back when he did do more live action stuff he's the guy that gets in the makeup and really loses himself in being a creature on alien and i think he's better as as a as a minbari and i think it's also fair to say that the minbari have a coldness a coldness to them that his performance style lends Credence to more than what Byron maybe was deserving but uh, Rachel for you Robin Atkin Downs have you been able to enjoy the performance or has the character itself has, has it been hard to separate the two
1: no it never reaches the bar of enjoying it never gets quite up that far it just
2: it just doesn't do it does it do it for you Medusa no, honestly, it's a shame. I, I really agree with Ryan, actually. I think he is amazing. Very little we see of him in, in his role as a Barry, But as you say, that detachment, I think, works for me quite a lot because we see how detached a lot of them in Bari are, especially when it comes to De- Delen and her life decisions. They have this, whether it's religious or or what, I'm I'm not sure, but... He he works for me better in that aspect. Um so yeah, I I can kind of understand the way he is as Byron, because he's probably emotionally detached himself from what happened. And maybe that's where the coldness comes into his actions because he's had to had to do that in order to carry on and try and, you know, achieve his cause in a way. And maybe way of him detaching himself from psycho. And maybe that's how he feels that he has to free himself, but there just wasn't any warmth for me. And I think that's what let me down a little bit, no, and that, like that could also be,
1: you know, the psycho training as well, and the conditioning. But you would want him to be rebelling against that more openly,
0: like Lita, when we first met Lita, she was very cold, and you didn't know how to Measured feel of, yeah, it. and very, very. Uh, strange. And and even Talia, to an extent, you didn't know how to feel about her to begin with. Like, you liked her, but maybe there's something weird with her because it's like she's, you know, for me at least it's like, it's always hard to connect with the telepaths because they do, I mean, They're dressed like Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, there's always that visual thing of, like, Mm. look, Talia's the blonde haired, blue eyed girl with the black gloves and the pin and everything. And, and, and Lita was like, had the like German bun in the the gathering. And it's like, there's always something there. And with Byron, he didn't have Nazi stuff. He had fucking Charles Manson cult leader vibes. And like, it's always something off. It's very rarely do sim like do I feel sympathetic for telepaths in the way that I think I should like. There's always a level of yeah, no, they are kind of creepy. <laughs> like, there's always that in it's there. It's
1: unnerving.
0: There's always and I and I love I love Lita. Like I feel sorry for her, but then it's like later in this series she'll be like, "Hey Garibaldi, I'm invading your brain while you're asleep." Or am um, am I? Ooh, and she's creepy, <laughs> and like and I love that for her too. Like get what you want, girl. But Robin Atkin Downs is a guy that's been in. Almost everything.
1: Practically everything. 440 credits on IMDb currently.
0: I'll get out of the way some of the information when it comes to B5. So this was one of his first real gigs, like, of major note. And when he did Atonement, he almost didn't make the cut. Tony Dow, the director, said when they were shooting, Ah, we're running out of time. We may need to cut your scene. It was just like one moment where he comes up to Delenn and is like, we're, we're, we're a world falling apart, so, uh, or whatever it was. And he really wanted to be in the scene. He, he went through all the makeup, and it's a it's a shot. So him and Mira Fallon worked together, and they convinced the director, no, no, let's let's shoot this scene and see how it works. And it was such a good scene that it was included in the TV spot promo. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal. Like If that's in yeah. the promo, it's that good of a thing. And so they called him back for In the Beginning. And they called him back to do Byron, and so him and and Mira working together and saying no no we're we we're, we're vibing with this little scene yeah. we're going through here, him and her voc- like vocally saying no no let's give this a shot got him an ongoing role and, and a bigger role and I really like that and he knows he knows he knows that Byron's not a liked character.
1: Yeah, and he, he gets it. He gets, he gets it. it.
0: I've seen him talk in videos and conventions about Byron. He also makes fun of the singing. He also makes fun of the Remember Byron. He seems like a good sport about it all. That's the thing. He seems like a good sport. He's, he was a young guy. He was a young English guy who had moved over to America in his teens when his family separated and he got into acting and he had done a bunch of theater and he's done a bunch of ads and some little TV spots here and there. And then he gets these roles as like kooky, weird alien and then kooky, weird telepath guy. And like, it's a lot to take on. Like, can you imagine one of your first roles when you're coming into the industry? You have to carry the last season of a show. You're having to be this messianic figure. You're having to have a sex scene as Mm -hmm. well. Like, there's so much put on him yep. and there's even him uh, pictures of them celebrating the 100th episode production and there he is and it's like you've come in at the last second but yeah from all accounts I've seen he loved doing it and everyone loved working with him and he still attends conventions whenever you watch videos he's most likely there and he interacts with fans online he's a very like positive figure for all of the shit he's probably been been given by the fan base. Oh,
1: yeah, it would have it wouldn't have been a welcoming community for him.
0: No, it wasn't for Tracy Scoggins as as Lockley, and I like that. Like I've given him shit in my life. I'm like, oh this fucking Byron yeah. and his long hair and he's gone like I've been mean. Yes. I won't deny it, but I like that he recognizes that that's a case, but he also sees the importance of the show, like we do, as nerds. As nerds, yeah. it's like, this is a meaningful experience, and he got to be a part of something special. Mm-hmm. He got to form relationships with these casts and, and with JMS. He's worked with JMS on other projects since yeah. then, and it's just, like, it warms my heart to know that, although this is a character that gets shit on a lot, he still participates with everyone and just... People get to know now from social media and stuff and videos and he has a YouTube channel that Robin Atkin Downs, the actor, is a fun guy. You may not like Byron, but hey, this guy's fun. He does like a voice in a video game you've played. He's actually, and isn't this the crazy part, Medusa? He, out of everyone in this show, has probably the most successful career since the show. Most prolific. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Mm. out of everyone, Byron. Fucking Byron. Like... I I, like uh, when I watched this for the first time, I would never have said that. I would never have said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know who's the guy who would have gone on to the biggest success? Byron.
3: They played us like a
0: damn fiddle. Rachel, is there anything that you've seen or or heard him in? He's a prolific voice actor.
1: Yes. Uh, Regular Show is definitely one. We've. We watch. Did we end up watching all of Regular Show? A good amount of it. uh, Yeah. and And he. Did various guest spots as different characters. He played
0: a character that's basically that show's equivalent of God. And his vocal delivery was, mm, I'm going to do it like David Bowie. That's yeah. what he did. He was like, I'm going to play this like David Bowie. <laughs> and that's a good choice. He's <laughs> a god. He's a god.
1: Yeah. We all acknowledge this fact. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, <laughs> is there, yeah, so there's any other standouts for you?
1: Oh. Uh, he was in Ben 10. Oh, you're a big Ben 10 head. And I feel like I'm like, I'm sure that I saw an episode. My nephew was obsessed with Ben 10. Um, and then, the, like, you know, he was the ship computer voice in Prometheus. And, you know, he he's in so many different things in so many different video games. It was hard. It was hard to go through and find things that I knew him for because there's just so many. It's overwhelming.
0: It's overwhelming. I mean, you you haven't said it, but Buffy. He was in Buffy. Yeah,
1: that was the one that I went into. He was the titular reptile boy in a season two episode uh, where uh, s- they... Get involved with a fraternity who's worshipping a snake creature, and he plays the snake creature, Machinta? And
0: an interesting detail is, for the first couple years of Buffy, they shared the same makeup crew as Babylon 5, so... Where did Nagrath go? The animatronic, well, it was in Buffy in an episode as She Mantis, where now it's a lady praying mantis. And so.
2: Yeah, that was a teacher, wasn't it? Yeah. I feel yeah, like that, that might have been and the too, same. Yeah, season.
0: that, that, so was, season, that up, was season Zander. one. Ah. Yeah, and, and the teacher lady, she was in an episode of Babylon 5 as well. She was uh, a Martian resistance person who helped them go to the tunnels to save Sheridan. Oh, wow. So, Babylon 5 has had the only actor to play the human version of that big bug. So isn't that great? <laughs> like they've had the big bug and the only actor to ever play the humanoid version of that big bug. What a combination. But you're completely right, Rachel. Like I'm looking at his IMDb and it's just, it's, it's staggering. He's prolific in video games. Before uh, we started the podcast, my friend Bartek, uh, who's never seen Babylon 5 before, I gave it to him on DVD and said, check it out. He's not into sci-fi, not a big sci-fi guy, but I said, i oh, give this a shot. And he looked at the cast list on IMDb and he knew who Robin Atkin Downs was. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know him by name, but he was like, oh, Robin Atkin Downs. I'm like, why do you know this guy by name? He's Byron. And he's like, oh, because he's one of the most, like he's in every video game I play. And then I looked it up. I'm like, holy, sh- holy shit. I heard him in every video game. I'm a big fan of the Metal Gear Solid franchise. And he's in them. He's in yes. them as as Miller, and Miller is gorgeous. He's such a cartoony, over the top, whimsical character, and he loves playing that character. I've seen him on like videos where him and David Hayter, who does uh, Snake's voice, read fanfics in the voice of their characters, <laughs> and and they and they're at conventions and they're just reading out things and having a good old time and and it's just this all of these over the top things and and miller has an infamous line delivery in one of the games in which he says that we've been played i've been played like a damn fiddle and and this is the key to robin Atkin downs that byron does not have he plays over the top high energy characters byron you'd never describe him as high energy low energy but robin Atkin downs give him a microphone and he's going to be over the top he does the silly german voice in the team fortress games he's like the medic and he's like the silly german and so i i really just like admire how much he's been in and i mean medusa for you i I don't know is there is there is there anything in particular in this guy's work that you're like oh yeah i i seen in that in that or i've heard him in that because byron this is one of his first early things and you're going through it for the first time you may not have been able to be like oh yeah that long-haired british guy yeah i know him from something
2: um, I didn't know anything about him actually. Um, it wasn't until after I'd finished the Byron Arc that I think one of my moderators on Patreon had said to me, Oh, it's the same guy who was in in the beginning, he was in A tournament, but he was playing him in Bari. So I was like, Oh, okay. And that was literally my entire background knowledge of him and his work. And it wasn't until we were having this chat about popping on and talking about this episode that I thought, oh, well, I'll take a little look to see if I recognize him from anything else. And then I was so surprised to see that, because I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. So I was hugely surprised to see that he had involvement in the Knights of the Old Republic games. He voiced a character in the Clone Wars animated series. And then I discovered that he was in the Uncharted games. And I was like, this guy is in everything that I basically play. This is amazing. Why did I, I never discover this? Um... So for me, it's, it, I think I was more surprised that he was in Clone Wars because I didn't recognize his voice at all. Yeah.
0: He is a guy that can do basically any accent. He talks about, I, I watched an interview, I listened to an interview with him where he grew up in England and he would watch TV and he would always mimic the voices, mimic the voices and then just do voices. And so my friend Bartek, he didn't know he was English. He's only ever heard him do American characters. He didn't know he was British. So when he Mm -hmm. saw him in this show, he was like, oh, he was a good British accent he was doing. And I'm like, no, (laughs) no.
1: That's his voice. That's him. That's him. That's pretty much his natural voice.
0: He's most well-known for obviously playing Miller in the Metal Gear franchise, but the most prolific character is Travis Touchdown in the No More Heroes games, where he plays this Johnny Knoxville-type, over-the-top American, loudmouth who's a nerd, and he says the most fucking insane just lines. Insane. Basically, if you want to have a good time, if you want to have a laugh, just try look up Travis Touchdown uh, clips on YouTube yeah, and it's those, just Robin any Atkin down
1: and
0: and he's over the top American accent oh. where he's just like eat dicks in hell you piece of t- you piece of shit and he's Travis just, he's Touchdown so out of
1: context clips on YouTube. Uh,
0: and he and he loves doing these voices yeah. and he loves doing these things like I follow him on social media and some of these video games he's in he he plays them himself like he doesn't just voice them but he likes playing them and <laughs> for instance team fortress 2 big game that's valve it's it's a big game but recently it's had a lot of trouble with bots bots are raiding the game and basically you cannot play team fortress 2 anymore because of this issue and he himself has been on a social media campaign over the last couple of years trying to get in contact with Valve and Steam and all of these high-ranking people to try and like actually figure this out because he's a fan of the game he's a fan of playing the character and he wants the best for it and he does live streams and he'll do the voice of this medic character that's over top German and it just fills my heart to see someone with such a passion for doing all of these over-the-top silly characters and it just makes me absolutely dumbfounded that this is Byron yeah. Because Byron is a character that lacks passion and he's cold, but that's the thing. It's an actor. He's acting. This is one of his first gigs. He's like 20, 21 years old and he's thrown into this sci-fi world that's already fully formed and going and
3: mm-hmm.
0: and, and he still gets to be a part of it. And every time you watch a convention footage, they say like what they're all up to now. And Robin Atkin like spends like 10 minutes because he's got so much shit on the go. Like he was in the Orville. <laughs> Recently, like a little while back, as like as one of the villainous characters, and I was like, "Hey, yeah, of course you were. You are in full alien makeup,
1: yeah, Byron." We'll know that, like, almost none of his credits are ongoing, recurring roles. Almost every single one of them is just like one episode, or if it is recurring within like an animation or something, he's got like five different slashes because he's a different character every time. And I'll share this
0: one big piece, and then we can wrap it up And wrap it up I unless other things. people have some things, which is another B five story. But it's also Star Trek related. He said that the sci fi show he loved the most was Star Trek. Growing up, he was not a big Doctor Who guy or Blake Seven guy or any of that. He was all was Star Trek, the original series. Loved it, and so working on Babylon Five, who does he get to face off against? He gets to face off against one of the original Star Trek (laughs) actors. And that is a dream come true. One of your first big jobs and you get to play against one of your idols in a way? That's incredible. That's like, you could just stop acting right then and there if you really want, because that's the dream. But here's an interesting wrinkle that happened. They were doing the convention circuits between season four and season five. And it was in Germany, I do believe. And the only cast member that was available was Bruce only Bruce, and so they needed some other cast member to join Bruce, and Robin Atkin Downs was the only one free, but the thing is none of the Byron episodes had aired yet so he agreed but he was like, I've done like some Inbari stuff but my stuff hasn't happened yet, but he agreed to do it and so here he is with Bruce at a convention and he's on the same stage as Leonard Nimoy Spock himself, and he's like having to talk about his, like Robin Atkin Dance is having to talk about his sci-fi status right now, which is my episodes haven't aired against Leonard Nimoy himself. And he was like, it was this really like surreal experience, but beautiful. And that's like one of the, like the, the ma- majesties of the whole convention scene. Like when you're an actor, you don't think about that stuff. Like, you, you know, yeah, but with some of these shows, it is, it's just the case. I mean, you're a fan of Doctor Who, Medusa. I mean, that's what Doctor Who actors have to do. And like, even like the big finish stuff and all of that. It's just like, a lot of these guys, they just played the show back in the day and it was like, well, that's it. It's done. And then it's like, oh no, there's a whole afterlife that comes with being in a certain genre.
2: I once um, had a conversation with Tom Baker, and I say a conversation. I just sat there and barely said anything because I didn't know what to say to him and bless his heart, he was so sweet, and he was so kind and just happy and open to talk to me and a couple of other people that were there but because obviously i'd <laughs> growing up in Britain, it's just there it's it is just part of the you know the zeitgeist it's it's every it's in everybody's life in a way. Especially more so now than when I was growing up, because I grew up during what was referred to as the wilderness years. The only thing that aired when I was growing up was the Paul McGann movie, and then the odd rerun that you'd find on UK TV Gold. But it was always the tail end of the season, so it was always like episodes from Trial of a Time Lord and and things like that. But it was I've never been so mute. I think in my life because it's hip and it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it, it it's very strange when you actually are literally starstruck.
0: Mm. And I can't imagine what it was like for this guy who is a fellow actor, someone who grew up being a fan of Star Trek, and he's at a convention, which is you know a job in itself to promote and to be. Your job
1: is to talk about
0: <laughs> being a sci-fi guy, and yeah, it's like you can't
1: just be there and be like. It's Leonard Nimoy.
0: You're arguably talking to Mr. <laughs> Science Fiction himself, Leonard Nimoy, it's Spock. It's fucking, it's Spock. Come on! But Rachel, you have some other stuff to say about Robin Atkin Downs.
1: I I have uh one. Uh, do you want the fun thing or the disappointed fun thing? Oh, let's go with fun first. <laughs> okay. So on his website, he has a link to a PDF resume. I have read it. (laughs) So I thought it would be fun to go through what he puts at the top of (laughs) each of his categories.
0: Yeah, because he has so many roles that they have to be (laughs) categorized.
1: So many. like It's not nearly all of them, obviously. So I thought we'd start with the low stakes theater roles. He was Dracula in Dracula. Really? Mm-hmm. He played a vampire. No mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> uh, he was Richard in Richard the Third.
0: Yeah, I, I was waiting for the Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and a player that I haven't heard of called Loot. He played Hal. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. And then we have the motion capture. Yes, because he's done, he was in The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. He was like That's one number f- two. He was one of the first people you fight in that game. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. people. Yep. He was Robert. Uh, Assassin's Creed it was number three, mm-hmm. where he played George Washington.
0: Fucking amazing.
1: And number one, Uncharted. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's in the Uncharted games. That's where Bartek, my friend, knows him from, yep. as well as No More Heroes.
1: And then we have his film credits or his television credits which do you want first I'll
0: go film I know him as a TV guy yep uh
1: number three Batman versus Superman
0: yeah he was some monster voices on that Doomsday <laughs> oh he was Doomsday yeah oh he was the Bell fuck <laughs>
1: yeah he was the main <laughs> <laughs> where all he does is growl <laughs> yeah with, he just hisses and growls in Buffy. I was like, please say a line. I want you to say a line. And he's just like... Ssss.
0: I wish he said, I wish he said, uh, the Somba David.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the special Simon. Rosa.
1: Closer than sisters. No, and uh, number two for film is Suicide Squad.
0: Yes, he was not Where there.
1: he was Angelo... Slash Incubus.
0: Yeah, he was the CGI. He was a villain in that too. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. And number one, The Conjuring 2.
0: Yeah, he was a creature in that. He plays a lot of creatures.
1: Bill slash Crooked Man.
0: Yeah, fucking amazing.
1: And I I want you both to guess, Brian, I don't know if you remember since you read this. Do you think Babylon 5 is in his top three television?
0: Great question. I'm going to say no. Is it not in there?
1: It's not in his top three. It's like but it's a the... little bit above halfway. But he's in a lot of episodes in comparison show other shows. It's like the only one where he has it down as like a recurring role. Can I ask you a serious question? Yeah.
0: Did he not remember Byron.
1: No, he remembered Byron. Byron was still on the list, Ryan. No, so number three is NCIS.
0: Oh, yeah. Did he get to play against Ducky? Don't I. Ducky, who was in B5. Uh,
1: Number two was Criminal Minds. And the top one is The Strain.
0: He, well, that makes sense. He was like in thirty episodes of that, but like
1: we no 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 Byron. That's in he sang a song. Byron Byron was in the list and the other thing.
0: Not the list list. Not Sinclair's list. <laughs> no. I... <laughs> Be careful with that one.
1: Um I he could will burn also point out that there's a typo <laughs> uh, on his resume.
0: Oh, is that is this the disappointing one?
1: <laughs> no. No. This was just something else. Um because it just ends with an and. Oh, and more will come. Like, because it's like um, at the end, it's just like special talents or something, and it's just like most prolific <laughs> voice actor. And, and then.
0: Blank. It's just blank. We'll fill it in. And, and long hair. Gorgeous <laughs> yeah. long hair, which I think he recently cut uh, yeah, from watching yeah, his YouTube is, videos. I think within the last two shorter. months he cut his hair, yeah. which I can't believe. He kept the long hair.
1: Yes. But now he has an evil uh, goatee. No, the fun disappointment was that he has various reels on his website, uh, some of his film work, but also voiceover. And he has a special spot where it ha- is like voiceover singing and it's not Byron songs. <sighs> he sang it's for this. It's not the Byron song. It's like a Christmas carol thingy or something. I don't, yeah. And I just was like, it's not, nah. I'm not even bothering listening to this.
3: That power bomb was your christening. Couldn't hear me before, but now you're listening something to think about you got a big mouth keep it shut bitch or get knocked the
0: fuck out we have a rating system it's very binary it's one or the other it's good or bad medusa so you're gonna have to tolerate that it's yum is bad yum yum is good okay so uh uh-huh. i'll say I, this is actually real tough because it's like as much as i want to give this episode a yum that scene with Besta telling Garibaldi how he has screwed him up is one of the greatest scenes ever.
1: Yeah, him being like, "Oh, this old writer."
0: <laughs> I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a yum. Yeah.
1: No, I think i fi- I'm finding it tricky because I've enjoyed discussing the episode so much. I feel like it's influenced my opinions on the thing itself. Because the Byron stuff, like, it doesn't get off the ground, as we've discussed, and the stuff with Bester is really good. It is really fun. But on the whole, yeah,
2: it's just a yum. Yeah. I'm going to be really awkward and I'm going to give the Byron section a yum yum but the best of sections yum yums yum yum that's I mean yeah that, that that's That's basically what we did but we just gave the episode as a whole a she figured yum. out a
0: loophole in our incredible yes. system I, I, I usually <laughs> say there's no half yum so you can't be like oh I give it a yum and a half no no but you found a great loophole I mean sometimes I say an episode's so bad I give it two yums so then it's a yum yum by mistake but <laughs> uh, that's only happened a few times looking at you yeah. exogenesis uh, oh god um, no this Ew. this is is an episode that has a lot going for it but also a lot going against it but that is the end of byron byron we shall forever paint murals of him and say remember 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 byron and we all sing songs of byron people have made songs about byron in fact i i linked medusa a song about byron earlier (laughs) And it's a glorious, it's a glorious little little piece of business. But Rachel, I am starving to know what is happening next time on Babylon Five
2: on an all new Babylon
1: Five. The ragged edge, the unauthorized publication of Jakar's secret book makes him a revered demigod amongst the Narn. Meanwhile, new evidence suggests a Centauri link. To the attacks on Alliance
2: shipping.
0: It's the shipping issue again, Medusa. It's the shipping issue. We're back on the shipping lines. It's all I
2: cared about in season five. Yeah, it's it, you know it's not the it's not
0: the characters. It's I know I want to know about trade and shipping lines. It yes. that's why that's why the Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars. It really gets to all of those nitty gritty details about bureaucracy. <laughs> and george lucas named the greedy evil alien race the nemoinians because i guess fuck you leonard nimoy great one george but that's a oh. little rant of my own i uh, think about a lot and that's a, yeah yeah that's a you know star wars what a, what an interesting catalog of work but that is all we have to say about phoenix rising i want to keep saying phoenix Wright, which is the ace attorney character but I, I won't, but I did in, inadvertently. Uh, Medusa, where? Uh, I mean, you're on YouTube, but please tell us a little bit more about where you can be found, the content that you have going on at the moment. I, I mm-hmm. believe you have a Patreon as well. Yeah,
2: you have mentioned it. Um, yeah, I'm mainly on YouTube. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Cascade Medusa. I think someone had stole producer cascade. So I had to just kind of improvise a little bit. Um it's just something I do in my spare time. So this isn't something that I, you know, focus on constantly. I do tend to have a lot of breaks between recordings of shows and getting shows out to edit. But you can also find me at medusa.cascade on Patreon where you can watch full unedited versions of full episodes of reactions that I'm watching. So at the moment On there, there's The Expanse, there's original Star Trek, there is Stargate SG-1. There are classic British shows like Star Cops and Moonbase 3 that are coming up on there as well. And you can also watch my back catalogue of Farscape, Lost in Space, Babylon 5, Crusade. And they all just live in this happy little place.
0: Yeah, I mean, you say... The the you know uh, easy breezy, but I follow and uh, nice updates of like here's the big schedule of all this stuff that's happening. Like that's a lot of stuff, and here, here and like I'm just like ah. I get one episode out a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, here's, here's all this catalog of all these amazing shows to cover. I mean, I grew up watching the Sarah Connor Chronicles and I was like the one person I knew who watched it. So that one always holds a weird place in my heart of like, hey, I like that show, but it's I haven't watched it since. It's one of those things. But we can be found on social media under yum yum pod or yum yum podcast we also cover stuff on our Patreon,
1: mm-hmm. including the Expanse. Uh, yeah, we're watching
0: through the Expanse, and we haven't seen it before. This—that's a—that's the a difference for us. We haven't seen the Expanse before. We are going through it. We've made our way through the first two seasons, and mm-hmm. it's been a, a magnificent time. My favorite character, Aaron Wright, is just a good guy with happy <laughs> feelings all the time, and I—he's uh, a precious little snowflake, and I love those type of people but uh yeah we do a lot we go through movie franchises we've done the x-men we've done star trek we are going through robocop currently and we have a group discord that you get to be a part of you can chat with other people and have a grand old time but that's all we've got for you that's that's the whole kit and caboodle uh rachel jakar was not in the episode that's the that's a. Jakar and Byron never got to talk to one another, really.
1: and the telepaths weren't eating.
0: They weren't eating, and Medusa, do you remember by any chance, in the gathering, lots of stuff didn't carry over from the gathering onwards, and one of the saddest ones is Jakar used to have a farewell which was he would smack his chest and say, good eating to you. And I'm always upset that that never got carried through in the show. So we end our episodes by saying a good hearty, good eating to you. Medusa, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Good eating to you.
2: Thank you. It's been an absolute joy. Rachel? Good eating to you both.
3: Ah, Mr. Kelly.